If you argue with a madman, it is extremely probable that you will get the worst of it. For in many ways, his mind moves all the quicker for not being delayed by the things that go with good judgment. He is not hampered by a sense of humor or by charity or by the dumb certainties of experience. He is more logical for losing certain sane affections. Indeed, the common phrase for insanity is in this respect a misleading one. The madman is not the man who has lost his reason. The madman is the man who has lost everything except his reason. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Marie. And I'm Grace. Today we are entering into chapter two of Orthodoxy, the chapter called The Maniac. How are you doing, Marie? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, I'm actually sitting in a closet at my new workplace because... uh, (laughs) I'm moving and I'm starting a new job and the Wi-Fi went out at my house. And so anyway, here we are. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you found a spot and you've been super flexible with me. Um, (laughs) You've been flexible with me. I've been all over the place. Yeah, it's this is the first time in a while that we've gotten to. Or actually, did we record our last one in the morning, too? I feel like even remember morning. (laughs) Mornings are are always best. I'm always fresher in the morning. Um, mm. with my thoughts. So, um, what have you, what are you drinking? I see a mug in your hand. I have coffee. I'm on coffee number two this morning. So hopefully that will help. <laughs> this morning I'm having a hot cup of PG tips, uh, with milk, which is David and I's favorite morning drink. Um, and it is comforting and delicious. I am looking forward to a day in about two and a half months when I can have a mimosa or <laughs> I was about to say when you can have a Guinness for breakfast yeah like when me, I can right? have a Guinness again <laughs> um so that'll be exciting um what are you what have you have you been reading anything I know you're prepping for moving so it's been crazy but yeah I really this week like I said I just started my new job so I've been kind of working on things for that and and trying to pack and all that so just slowly plotting through um Jesus of Nazareth still um which is it's one of those things where it's like I want to just like read it from cover to cover really quickly but it's so rich Mm. (laughs) so it's like you Mm. can't go super fast you know that's not a book you want to rush on for sure I know I know yeah I've been we've, we've been really busy too um we're also prepping for moving a few weeks behind you, but our, our things are getting picked up in about three weeks. So, um, and we've just had a lot of family stuff going on. So I actually, I did not start. I feel like every week I'm like, I don't know. Oh, I've started a new book, but I haven't started a new book this week. Um, I am continuing for work reading, um, a book called Awake, Not Woke by Noelle Maring. Um, who is a fantastic um, author, mom, speaker uh, here in Southern California. Um, I believe Ignatius might have published this book. 
I think um, I've seen it somewhere. I It sounds familiar. It just came out, and it's been definitely, like, making its way um, on the interwebs because they've been promoting it. Um, but it's really interesting. She's talking about the loss of the meaning of language, mm-hmm. um, and she gives an example at the beginning of the book. Um, basically, uh, at this college in the here in the u.s uh wellesley college which is a women's college um she like talks about the experience of a particular woman there who um decides she would like to be a man considered to be a man she chooses a male name etc and goes through the uh confusing drama of then running to be a president of a diversity club at the school and everybody was really accepting of her deciding to be a man after previously being a woman I think for a couple years at the school um, but when she ran for this club they said no because they didn't want um, a white male running their diversity club how and interesting it, she <laughs> yes and she so she dives into I mean, that's just in the introduction of the book. Um, and she's diving into, like, what a tragedy and uh, how it's utterly dysfunctional to lose mm. the sense of the meaning of language. If I can't say to you the word book and you just mm. agree that it it's It could just mean thing, anything. Yeah. <laughs> in my hand with pages and words um, and you're going to claim that a book is a cat. We can't, we can't have a conversation. We can't come to any truth. Um, And so she's, she's talking about the quote unquote woke culture Mm -hmm. and everybody discovering all their personal truths about everything, which is basically just people expressing that they have opinions about things, but (laughs) mistaking that for opinions are, are not facts. So um, anyway, Noel is a guest that we have had before um, with my work. So I'm reading the book in hopes to plan um, a show with her soon. And great. Yeah, it's really interesting. So yeah, that's what I've been I feel to. like that relates to um, in some ways in what we're going to talk about for this chapter today. Totally. As well. I thought it was so a good segue. That's a great segue. <laughs> a great segue so so yeah this chapter is um was really great to me I just I wanted to point out I guess like we we talked that we were gonna help um her try to help our listeners see like what's the main image like what's the main point that he's trying to get across so the title of the chapter is the maniac um and Chesterton uses this image of someone who is in an insane asylum. So he talks about, um, Hanwell, I guess that's how you say it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is a, a insane asylum in London or somewhere thereabouts. And, uh, so he's using this, this idea of someone who really believes in their, in themselves. Right. So he said that he was talking to some kind of like a publisher or whatever. They're having this conversation and, uh, they, he says like, well, you just, you know, people just have to believe in themselves or he has to believe in, in that himself. man will and get on. He believes. Yeah. In himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And, yeah. and Chesterton's like, well, actually, in my 
practical experience, it's been the opposite. Like the people who really believe in themselves more than anything else are the ones who you really don't want to publish <laughs> their yeah. books because they believe in themselves a little too much, right? Yeah. So they kind of like yeah. think more of themselves than they are. And so he's he's kind of thinking out this this image, this idea mm-hmm. of like, what do people really look like when they really do only believe in themselves and like what's in their mind and their experience and their brain and their world, like is the only basis of reality. Um, then are they really living in reality? Um, and, and he argues, no, actually, in fact, those are the people that are insane. Those are the people that think that they're the queen of England when they're not, you know, like those are the people who think that they are, um, that they are God, you know? Um, and what's, what I love about the whole image is that it works when we apply it to, um, you know, this whole thing we were just talking about, like people just kind of saying like, well, my truth is the only thing that matters. But then I think also on a deeper spiritual level, we can apply it to ourselves, all of us as human beings. Like that's the original lie of Satan. Like that's the Mm -hmm. original Mm -hmm. problem of humanity is trying to make ourselves into God. Um, and making the whole universe revolve around ourselves. So I think that we can talk about this chapter kind of on a, like, like a social and societal level, but I think we can also talk about it, um, on a personal spiritual level as well. Yeah, you're so right. And I, uh, as I was preparing for this episode this week, I, um, you know, the, the image of a maniac of a person who's literally insane, who has mental problems, who's in a mental institution or, you know, is, is on medication for some sort of mental, mm-hmm. um, problem that they have. It, that's not, um, the person necessarily that he's focusing on, mm-hmm. but it paints this very clear example for us. Like it paints mm-hmm. his point clearly for us because right. he's saying that every person is sub- susceptible to that madness Yes. If we follow this path that Grace just explained, um, because we, uh, David and I were talking about it, you know, we both know people with serious mental illness and it is this, <laughs> it's, it's a good example because there is this unreasonable, very tiny world, um, mm-hmm. with, with a lot of mental illness where there there's not this understanding or charity like you quoted in our our beginning quote for this mm. chapter um that makes a person really hard to reason with in the mm. end which is funny because he's he's saying in this chapter that these are the people who are relying relying solely on reason right mm. mm-hmm. their reason yeah but they can't be reasoned towards the truth because right. their reality is so small and because they're so stuck in what they are, what they find their, their world of reason to be. So, yeah. And I think that's really the point of this chapter. Um, the kind of, I guess, underlying, um, philosophical point that Chesterton's trying to make by using this image that we think that if our world Like if I can say whatever I want, if I can believe whatever I want and just like say that that is reality, that is truth, that's my truth, whatever, that we think that our world opens up and that we have so many options and we can 
kind of like experience more things and it just seems bigger to us. But in reality, the paradox is that it's the opposite. It's actually Mm -hmm. that our world is very small. It's very cramped. It doesn't let in the light, so to speak, Mm -hmm. of everything else around it. Um, It's just, it's not, uh, it's not full. It's empty um, ultimately. And that's, that's the thing that I think is so counterintuitive for us in general, I think as human beings because of sin, but I also think in our society today, especially, um, it's super counterintuitive. So if someone, it it feels limiting, but it actually becomes freeing to accept Mm -hmm. that there's a truth outside of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it is in the end, um, in a world ruled by feelings, does it really Mm -hmm. matter how you feel if you're not living in reality? Mm. I mean, because in the end, and I'm thinking of, um, on Pints with Jack somewhat recently, they had um, Dr. Jason Leproyarvi on. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he always talks about love. But he was saying, like, if a thing appears to be sexy, but it's not real, it's not really sexy. Like, mm. the actual... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, at, at the heart of things, reality is the most is the best love, uh, you know, love and in truth yeah. is the sexiest thing, is the best thing. And I feel like that is what Chesterton is trying to get at here with right. everything. Like, it's nice if you think <laughs> that you're the queen of England. Yeah. But, but if, if you're that's not, actually... not real, <laughs> yeah. then you're living in a fantasy in your mind and you're closing other people off from really participating in your life like you said it's not full it's empty you've made it um a world for one I think a lot of us can look at this and say well that's really extreme I mean none of us are claiming to be the queen of England or Mm -hmm. whatever but it's not that extreme we all do this on a small level because of sin right like we make Mm -hmm. we make things about us in different ways um so I think it's it's something interesting to analyze like if we can look at our lives and just say um are we really putting God first and seeing him and the truth that he has established as our reality Mm -hmm. or are we creating our own reality because that's what makes us comfortable yeah I think we don't you know, majority of people don't struggle with actually believing that they're the queen of England or actually believing that they're God, like intellectually, but in our practical living out of, of our lives, I think we do think that we're the queen of England yes. or we do yes. think that we're God, you know, um, and we would never admit that to I'm ourselves, definitely the but queen I think of my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you, <laughs> you, you don't actually believe it. Like when someone says it in words, you're like, Oh no, I don't believe that. Yeah. But like in your practical everyday decisions. And that's when you're, if you're really honest with yourself and you're really kind of self-reflecting, you're like, Oh, I do kind of think the world revolves around me, <laughs> yeah. you know? And like, again, that's the, that's the human condition. So, totally. but, um, I wanted to read one of these quotes from the chapter because yeah. this is my favorite one. And it actually came up um, yesterday. We had staff. Um, I'm so <laughs> I'm just so grateful and so blessed. Um, this new job that I started, the the office is so focused on the interior life um, and prayer. And it's just so wonderful. So we have staff formation once a week where we get together and we read something or, and we pray through something together and discuss it. And so um, my pastor, Father Andrew, is reading this book. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's um, it's by a monk um, named Father Boniface, I think. 
But uh, anyways, it is fantastic about prayer. And one of the things that he had underlined in his own reading of mm-hmm. it was talking about how the ego dies hard mm. um, and how <laughs> whenever we're coming before God with our ego and we're trying to like get rid of this idea that we're God, you know, um, it's really difficult. It's a lot more difficult than we think it is to kind of yeah. like let ourselves sort of die in a way yeah. and, and allow ourselves to be resurrected in God, you know, yeah. and um, and I thought immediately of this quote from this chapter the maniac um when he's sort of having this this conversation with the madman in his head mm-hmm. um and he's trying to convince him that he's reasoned himself into this world that's too small and he's too concerned with what other people think about him like as if everyone's looking to him or looking to his life or looking to his decisions like he's the most important one he's the center of everything and so he says but how much happier you would be if you only knew that these people cared nothing about you. How much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. If you could really look at other men with common curiosity and pleasure. If you could see them walking as they are in their sunny selfishness and their virile indifference. You would begin to be interested in them because they were not interested in you. You would break out of this tiny and tawdry theater in which your own little plot is always being played and you would find yourself under a freer sky and a street full of splendid strangers. Yes. I highlighted that because I just loved it so much because I was just like, oh, that's so true. It's like whenever you can finally wake up and realize, like, I don't know if you can relate to just kind of like obsessing over like, what do other people think of me? Or like people are always waiting for my next move. No, or I've like- never felt like that <laughs> before. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, definitely. it's a very human thing, I think. But yeah, um, yeah just like you kind of do find yourself acting as if you're the center of your own play. Um, And I know like Balthazar talks about like the ego drama versus the Theo drama. And it's like, are you the center of this play that's being played out? Or is God Mm. the center of this play that's being played out? And you're a player in it and you're important, but you're not the center of everything, Mm. you know? And it's like when you can kind of shift your, your view and you can kind of shift like, where is it that I actually do play a role in this whole plot? Um, Then it becomes more exciting. It becomes bigger. It becomes more magnificent than just you and your little theater, just kind of playing this thing out over and over again in little circles that just always seem to be the same and end up being very boring at the end of the day. Um, It's far more exciting. Yeah. yeah. And satisfying. Yeah. Yes. If you've ever tried to do this and actually like, self-reflected in the midst of it (laughs) you know you gotta see like oh yeah it kind of does suck when I always make the decisions about everything when I always choose everything it's boring (laughs) yeah and you and you find that if you go through a time where you're sort of ignoring what it feels like the will of God is for you or you're just ignoring him in general because whatever (laughs) because Mm. of whatever thing is going on in your life you are continually dissatisfied with the things that you turn to and not even I'm not even talking about necessarily sinful things but just like trying to trying to make life what you think that it should be and then Mm -hmm. realizing you know what I actually really need him and you go back to the sacraments and you go back to um you know like reinstituting your daily prayer life and all of these things and you can breathe again and Mm -hmm. I think I think that's kind of a tragedy but also an ongoing human story is that mm-hmm. we don't understand that that true freedom that comes from God that comes from living 
as God um, intends for us, we think we think that our personal choice and our preferences um, mm-hmm. are going to grant us that freedom. But yeah, we see with like all of our favorite writers and all of our favorite saints, the ones that the ones that I'm most inspired by are the ones that completely give over their will to God's mm-hmm. will. And mm-hmm. but it's the hardest thing to do because you feel like you're losing control. Mm-hmm. And you are in a way, but you're losing yeah. control. You're losing control to the person who knows you best, who loves you best, who cares for you best. So yeah. you're also it's it's just so yeah, it's so paradoxical. It's like you it's counterintuitive. You think you think you're you're losing control, but like you're really not like we do have freedom and like the freedom is important. Um, like it's important that we're like, we're not determinists, right? Like Chesterton's talking about like determinism in this chapter. He's talking about things like, you know, there's no free will. Everything just happens as it's going to happen. And we all just have to like follow it along and whatever we do was predetermined and we didn't choose it and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, first of all, Chesterton tries to point out like, that's really impractical to try to live out. (laughs) If you've ever tried to live like thinking that way, it's like, what does he say? Is it something about like, you can't even say like, thank you to the housemaid or like, um, because it's like, well, she didn't choose it. She just did it. Cause she had to, you know, it's like, there's like, can, there's there can no, be no gratitude. There can be no yeah. spontaneity. There can be yeah. no free will. Right. Yeah. And it's, so it just, everything becomes very drab and very boring. And, um, and it's just not, it doesn't make sense. It's like, what I love about Chesterton and I love about what the point he's making in this chapter is that there's so much more to human life and life and the universe that we live in than just mere logic that there's mystery and there's excitement and there's like things that we can't control and there's things that we can control and there's like you know there's just like so much more um like practical experience can teach us um that if we're just in our minds, I know we talked about this a lot before, but like if we're just going around in circles in our minds with logic, trying to figure everything out, we can come up with something that sounds really logical and really great. And maybe on some level it is, but as soon as we actually live and like open our eyes and like smell the roses and like walk around and interact with people and actually think about those practical experiences, we realize that it's not true. You know? Um, I think this is a really important, um, aspect of this chapter to grasp is the logic versus imagination Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. dilemma that he presents Mm -hmm. um and I'm curious as to your thoughts on this um he says the person with who merely has logic which is the person we've been discussing um over this episode versus the person who is the poet basically or the imaginative the creator the creative um, why is it that um, creating or imagination frees a person from succumbing to this madness? I just off the top of my head, that's a great question. Um, off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to my mind is that God is a creator mm. um, and God is imaginative and God is infinite (laughs) yeah and so there's so much more 
um, I think if we settle only for logic, we can easily build a box. Um, you know, Chesterton in this chapter, or rather, rather than a box, I should say we can build a circle. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think that's another one of the images of this chapter. And I think this is the image. I didn't look this up. Um, maybe, you know, the dates, but the idea of the ball and the cross, he has a, a novel oh. called the ball and the cross. The ball and, he and talks the about cross that. came later, but yeah, I think it's a fictional explanation of this idea from this chapter because he mm-hmm. talks about the ball and the cross in this chapter. He talks about a circle versus a cross. Yes. And how a cross can stretch out infinitely, but a circle, it just like stays within itself. So it's not, it seems infinite because it's going in a circle and it seems to be the symbol of, of infinity, but in reality, it's smaller than, than reality. Um, and the, but the cross stretches on forever. So he's using that as another image to kind of show that there's so much more than just kind of going in, around in this little logical circle. I think logic can can trap us and can hold us in um, if it is the only thing that we have. We're not trying to say that logic is bad. We're not trying to say that like logic is like, we oh, we don't need logic. Of course we need yeah, logic. That's part yeah. of who we are as human beings. It's part of who God is, is this truth and the things that he does on some level like are logical. But um, but there's and not he all, wants that's us not to all use there reason. Is. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But there's so much more than just that. So I think it's we we can tend to maybe because it's easier, maybe because it's concrete, it's easier for us to control. It's easier for us to feel like we have control, I should say, um, yeah. that like we don't want to let go and like enter into the mystery of yes. something beyond what we can grasp yes. and beyond what we can understand. Yes. Um, I don't know if any of that's making sense, but I know I think that would that heads in the direction that I was um, trying to answer that question with as well. I um, I think that the poet or the artist or um, the imaginative, whether or not they be an artist, um, is able to look at something outside of themselves in admiration, just like pure admiration mm. of the sublime like yeah looking at a waterfall looking at a mountain range um and just being overcome by its beauty inspired by its beauty mm. and then and then inspired to create and inspired to do something beautiful in turn mm. um and <clears throat> it's interesting because he kind of um mentions like a few few different writers in in this chapter um like he talks about Poe for a line um, right. and how yeah. Poe went mad, but Poe, Poe was extremely analytical. And right. So he, was he trying act- to reason everything out. Yeah, yeah. He actually was more of a logician than a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he talks about Cooper and um, mm-hmm. I think a couple others. Um, but I, I thought that this was really true that like these, the logician, um and this is this is a line that I wanted to read the um let me see I don't have the exact one but I'm going to summarize it um the logician tries to fit the heavens into his head and so his head splits the the poet tries to get his head into the heavens so the poet looks at the heavenly and the beauty and truth beauty goodness and tries to um enter into it Mm-hmm. And the logician looks at it and tries to get it into his head. Like he tries to make it a part of that tiny pinpoint circle of a world that he's 
um, living mm-hmm. in. And right. it's like it, it it's very clear in this chapter that like how dangerous it is to try to be more than we are, which is a created creature of a mm-hmm. of a much larger being than ourselves. Um, we, we can't be God and we do it very unsuccessfully. Mm. Yeah. I love the, actually the example that he gives of Cooper, um, going mad. So this, this English poet who does go mad and he says like, he's like the, the example of one that does, but there's a reason. And he says that poetry is not the thing that made him go mad. Poetry was actually the thing that kept him in partial health in his life. (laughs) He said the thing that made him go mad was actually, um, Calvin's teaching on predestination. Yes. Which are double predestination, which is um, that some people were created for heaven and some people were created for hell. And basically we can't choose. We don't have free will. Right. So Calvin denies free will in that way. And Chesterton is saying like, no, that's actually not orthodoxy, um, which is interesting. But he says that predestination in Calvin's mind, like Calvin reasoned that out, right? Like he was really trying to do theology and he was really mm-hmm. trying to say like, it doesn't logically make sense to me that we would have free will if God is like God, right? And mm-hmm. so he, in trying to reason that out, it makes sense logically in his mind, but it doesn't make sense practically. And so he said that in uh, Cooper trying to accept Calvin's position, that's what drives him mad is he's like, yeah. oh my gosh, maybe I'm damned. You know, yes. like so many people have been driven mad by that doctrine or by that yes. teaching. Um, and so Chesterton is, is trying to, I think, to use that as another image of how like even in theology, um, we can reason ourselves into a whole and actually misunderstand truth. Yes. Um, so anyway. We, because, and with predestination, that would cause a person to go mad because what a hopeless, sad, loveless doctrine that they're trying yeah. to promote. Um, yeah. And it, and it doesn't make sense even if you, even if you're not a theologian and you're like, well, I don't know anything about that. Well, if you look at the identity of God, if, if you're a Christian and you know God and you know that mm-hmm. he loves you, you know mm-hmm. that he wants you to be with him in heaven and mm-hmm. so, like, just based on that simple uh, train of thought, you can mm-hmm. kind of see already an immediate problem with it. But yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the experience, it's the practical experience of knowing that and experiencing that that helps you to see that that line of logic, there's something flawed about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That there is something illogical about it because you brought in other aspects of your experience and other aspects of your knowledge and, you know, stuff like that. So, it's again, it's like opening our mind up beyond just reason. Yes, exactly. And the ball in the cross, I, I did check. It was 1909. So it was written just the next year. Wow. And, okay. um, and if anybody is interested, it is not a long read, but it's an incredibly fun read. Um, I've started it. I haven't finished it. So yeah. it's kind of like... It's one of those that's always in the background. Whenever I get some spare time, I'll like listen to a little bit more of it. It's so it's good. It's so funny. It made me laugh a lot. I mean, as Chesterton's fiction always does, but mm-hmm. it's a um, it's a story about an atheist and a Catholic. Um, basically, uh, they enter into a they're trying to enter into a duel to the death over their beliefs, <laughs> and um, it is just the wildest <laughs> adventure like they keep like getting interrupted don't they? yes like, yes they can't so, duel because people keep interrupting them yeah so they're um it's a lot of fun I would recommend it but as Grace said in that um in that book 
um, he he's going he's diving more into what he's presenting here, which is that the cross with its uh, you know two two lines that meet at a at a point in the center and then extend out and um, mm-hmm. in the directions they can extend forever, right? Like the love of God, the wisdom of God imagination it extends forever like in with the cross the Mm -hmm. circle is just whatever is contained in it this very finite very um very complete Mm -hmm. uh way of thinking or living and with the with the cross it just (laughs) it allows it allows for so much more life and and so many more people um the cross encompassed the whole world, right? Like Christ died on the cross for everyone, for every single mm-hmm. person. And the circle that he's talking about with this mad way of thinking, this mania, mania mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have any of the love of Christ in it mm-hmm. because it can't open up to allow anyone else in, including God. Right. Yeah, I think there's a couple of really great... Um, quotes that he kind of uses to explain all of what you're just saying um I really liked one it said it is exactly this balance of apparent contradictions that has been the whole buoyancy of the healthy man the whole secret of mysticism is this that man can understand everything by the help of what he does not understand so the cross has like is bringing two things together that seem to be contradictory, but actually aren't. So God and man, like God's free will and our free will, um, you know, all these different doctrines of Christianity, which seem to be the, you know, the classic both and things that don't seem like they should go together, but actually do. And that's what he was talking about last, last chapter as well, right? That we have this problem of being both at home in the world and also strangers in the world. Um, Yeah. And like, how do those things come together? And he says that, Christianity he's going to argue throughout the rest of the book that Christianity kind of brings those things together in a way that actually makes sense and so the cross is is a cool image of that yeah um wonderful I think um let's see there was one other thing I wanted to talk about I know I'm looking at my notes here too like I I think I oh um uh, let's see. Oh, I love. <laughs> I just laughed at this line. He said, um, he's talking about, uh, he says, Mr. McCabe. Who is that? I can't find his first name. I think it's, it, he's a determinist. Yep. He says, Mr. McCabe thinks me a slave because I'm not allowed to believe in determinism. I think Mr. McCabe a slave because he's not allowed <laughs> to believe in fairies. <laughs> I just laughed. I laughed so hard because like, that's what it's funny though because Christians you know a lot of times or religious people in general will get accused of like oh you're silly imaginary friends or you're you know whatever <laughs> and all these like extra things but in reality um it's like the universe is much more complex than we understand and there's yeah. many more levels of reality you know things you know I just think about things like angels and, and things like that that it's like you're really limiting when yourself you, if you won't open yourself up. Yeah, to if you're a materialist existence. and a determinist, it's actually a very small world that you see. Yeah. And but your practical experience of the world being much more mysterious and much more exciting than that should inform 
you're understanding that there is much more than you can understand, that there is these things possibly maybe that are out there that are not what you can perceive, you know, and it's, there's actually more freedom, um, in that he says, uh, The Christian admits that the universe is manifold and even miscellaneous, just as the sane man knows that he is complex. The sane man knows that he has a touch of the beast, a touch of the devil, a touch of the saint, a touch of the citizen. Nay, the really sane man knows that he has a touch of the madman. But the materialist world is quite simple and solid, just as the madman is quite sure he is sane. So it's just very, very small, you know, very small, very cramped, very sure, there's nothing that can't be explained, but as soon as there is, there is something that can't be explained, it kind of throws a wrench into that whole wheel. Um, and, but with the Christian, you're not affected by crazy things that happen because you're like, Oh, that just must be part of the greater mystery that I don't understand. So you're not like freaking out about trying to justify everything that happens according to your worldview. Instead, you're just like, Oh, maybe that's something that's beyond what I've been able to comprehend yet. You know, it's a lot more sane, I think, to think that way. It's easier to have peace all of, you know, not all of us have peace all the time, but it's easier to have peace more of the time when, when you understand that. What do you think? he's trying to accomplish with this chapter like when I when I like I said I've read it a few times now and I felt really this time like he was maybe he's trying to open people up open people's minds up as he's die you know he's about to dive into all of these concepts um about orthodox Christianity in this book um and this chapter in particular seems kind of like a an invitation to people who are reading it to maybe have a bit more of an open mind than they were mm. thinking they would as they read this. I mean, maybe even G.S. Street or mm-hmm. whoever whoever else of his um, opponents or critics, you know, he was writing it for. Yeah, I think he I think that's exactly right. I think he's trying to challenge us to not accept the narrative that materialism is the most reasonable thing, you know, um, or that like somehow religion or Christianity specifically is illogical. Um, but in fact is more, uh, I'll maybe not use the word logic, but more reasonable in that it includes more than just reason. I don't know if that makes Mm. sense. Like Mm. I think he's trying to open people up to the idea that, um, yeah, logic is, logic itself is not logical <laughs> that like the there's logic this paradox not where, rooted in anything yeah except just, for you <laughs> it's yeah not exactly and that there's something beyond and, and he even says that actually um when he's talking to the publisher mm-hmm. i think at the very beginning and they're having that conversation um he says uh the publisher kind of he says this guy believes in himself. They have that whole conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the publisher says, well, if a man's not to believe in himself, then in what is he to believe? And then Chesterton said, after a long pause, I replied, I will go home and write a book in answer to that question. This is the book that I have written in answer to it. So I think that he's trying to say, like, he's trying to set us up to realize that we are not the center of the universe, that we are not the people who are, um, like the owners of, of our own little truth or whatever that like affects everything else. I think he's trying to get us to see that there's something beyond. We should start looking outside of ourselves for something that is 
actually the reality or actually the truth beautiful of the world what was the other quote you wanted to read well I just there was this one kind of near the end of the chapter and it was a little bit chilling it was a little bit sobering and Mm. I think it's because we can see it all throughout this chapter Chesterton is mentioning things like we didn't even talk about the um the thing about denying the cat Um, oh gosh like original sin and like all of that kind of stuff denying the dirt do you remember him saying like he said you know before it was like um is there such a thing as original sin or he says original sin is the only thing that can be proven Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. he's like but modern thinkers are now saying the sin itself doesn't even exist like they're denying the dirt which is like even more obvious for religious and non-religious people that like people do bad things Mm -hmm. right and he says at the end of that uh page but though moderns deny the existence of sin i do not think that they have yet denied the existence of a lunatic asylum and while that was kind of funny i i wrote in the margin like we're getting there because a lot of the things that actually are lunacy like things that actually are like mental illness people are starting to say like oh no that's not a mental illness that's just that person's truth you know um and so there's a lot of things in this chapter that he's kind of mentioning where we've seen you know he's writing in the the early 1900s like we're a century later and these things have only just progressed. Yeah. And, um, I think that at the end of the chapter, near the end of the chapter, maybe it's in the, yeah, near the end of the chapter, um, he explains what happens when we do sort of give over, give ourselves over to this mystical, he calls it mystical egoism, Mm -hmm. where we kind of think like we're divine or we're God or whatever. We're like looking, I'm the center of everything. But he he explains what practically happens when we live that way. And it's very chilling. He says, when this kindly world all around the man has been blackened out like a lie, like I'm the only thing that is, that is the center of my own universe. I've created everything around me. I don't, Like everything is a figment of my own imagination. This is sort of like an extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, when friends fade into ghosts and the foundations of the world fail, then when the man believing in nothing and in no man is alone in his own nightmare, then the great individualistic motto shall be written over him in avenging irony. Mm -hmm. The stars will only will be only dots in the blackness of his own brain. His mother's face will be only a sketch from his own insane pencil on the walls of his cell. But over his cell shall be written with dreadful truth. He believes in himself. Mm. And I was just like, ooh, that is intense. But it's so true. And I feel like there's so many people in our society who have bought into this idea um, of like, I'm, I just determine everything in my own life and have ended up very depressed and very broken and very alone and isolated Um, away from from family and friends and society and community because the individualism has really effectively shut them in a prison cell you know yeah Um, and and I say them but I mean us too I think we're all affected by it in different ways Um, yeah but yeah I just think it's important for us to see the practical end of these things you know and I think that's what Chesterton's trying to do as well yeah we are doing fabulous grace so far (laughs) i do want to say one more thing because i kind of i feel bad that i kind of ended on like a depressing note and (laughs) well he kind of ends the chapter on a depressing note because a little bit says yeah i mean he says the moon is let me read this he says 
for the moon is utterly re- un- utterly reasonable, and the moon is the mother of lunatics and has given to them all her name. <laughs> yeah, the round, the circle, the but yeah. As we said, like he's he it's depressing and it's not. Like he's recognizing yeah. something that's a very real ill in the yeah. society around him. So Yeah. And I think I, I wanted to say this. I wanted to quote one more thing from earlier in the chapter because I think he gives like what if we find ourselves in this place, right? Where we're depressed because we've been living in our own head and we've yeah. been trying to reason out our whole lives and we've been trying to re- like determine our own philosophy of life and whatever. And we've if reasoned ourselves into a very dark and depressing corner. And I think people do that a lot. Like what do we do if we get there and we realize like, oh gosh, I'm stuck. Like what do I do? And I think um, earlier in the chapter he gives us a little bit of a uh, of an idea of what to do um he says a man cannot think himself out of mental evil so he's calling mm. this like stuck in logic like stuck in reasoning myself in this this philosophy that is very dark and depressing mm-hmm. um a man cannot think himself out of mental evil for it is actually the organ of thought that has become diseased ungovernable and as it were independent he can only be saved by will or faith the mm. moment his mere reason moves it moves in the old circular rut he will go round and round his logical circle, just as a man in a third-class carriage on the inner mm-hmm. circle will go round and round the inner circle, unless he performs the voluntary, vigorous, and mystical act of getting out at Gower Street. <laughs> so yes. he's like, you have to get out of your own mind, and you have to leave your house and shut your door and walk out into the street and talk to a person or <laughs> experience life. Like you have to do, you have to experience other aspects of humanity that are not logic in yeah. order to fix your brain so that it can reason again. And I related to that on such a deep yes. level because that has happened to me so many times. And I realized that I have got to get out of this house. I've got to talk to another human being. I've got to get back in touch with the very concrete, tangible reality because like that's going to show me that my little logical circles actually aren't logical in the end yes so i just want to offer that as like a like get off the train advice yeah (laughs) get off the train just like do something practical and like reroute yourself in the reality of the world around you yeah oh my gosh good 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 advice yes thank you chesterton and thank you grace that (laughs) that is that is a really important takeaway from this chapter that um, we don't want to when we do realize yeah when we do realize we're stuck we don't want to stay stuck um, and sometimes that just means going on a walk and yeah. sometimes that means going back to confession or yes going to church yeah. whatever just take that first step yeah beautiful um, all right well next week we're going to be talking about chapter three the suicide of thought um, and um We kind of alluded to it a little bit today earlier when we were talking about fairies, but after the suicide of thought comes the ethics of Elfland, and that is one of David and I's favorite chapters. So I think that's one of the most famous of Orthodoxy. I've heard people mention it a lot. So we're we're heading into some really awesome conversations, but yes, next week we'll do the suicide of thought, and we can't wait to continue on this journey of discovering Orthodox Christianity with you. Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. Do you have anything that you're grateful for this week real quick? Yes. uh, I have been really grateful for um, the kindness of everybody at my work as I'm wrapping up there. Um, They've just been really lovely and like it's a big transition to 
leave and um they've just been really gracious and have made it as um as pleasant as it possibly can be and (laughs) we're all sad because we've all loved working together but yeah my coworkers have been great so awesome yeah mine's similar except on the other end I'm I'm very grateful (laughs) for being received (laughs) into a new um, work environment. And it's such a great, awesome team and just like really, really wonderful, holy people, fun people. You know, Um, I'm I'm just really, really, really overwhelmed with gratitude for this whole opportunity and this new leaf that I'm turning over. And I don't know, just it's been really good. So and I think it'll be challenging for me in ways that are hopefully going to contribute to spiritual growth as well you know just kind of like kind of forcing me into um deep reflection I think Mm. deeper than I was able to go at my workplace before just because of the frenzy of teaching you know it's like there's so much going on it's It's just a busy job you can't go too deep because you've got to kind of run across the surface you know and um yeah there's there's much more uh time carved out for deep prayer and reflection and I'm so grateful for that and it's going to be difficult and challenging I think in some ways but um but really needed so awesome anyway that is so awesome I'm happy for you thank you all right well um you can find us on our instagram at pints with chesterton you can um email us at pints with chesterton at gmail.com uh you can go to our website pintswithchesterton.com um we thank you for coming on this journey uh, a few more people have let me know that they've been listening and it's really fun to study these books with you so thank you may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy cheers cheers, cheers.